This is Pod TST. Every week we talk about the Rams and their upcoming opponent. And this week, uh, let's do that again. It's the Rams against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Jackson Bevins, he's been recapping games at Field Goals, uh, the SB Nation's Seahawks site, of course, for the last decade. And uh, Jackson, yeah, this is your 10th season covering the Seahawks at Field Goals. And you've done it for every single game of Russell Wilson's career. Um, any thoughts on uh, this season's games from Russell Wilson as compared to the last ones? Uh, any reason that this one is different? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's been really cool this season to see an unleashed Russell Wilson. Um, those of us up here who who have been watching this team post Legion of Boom, post Marshawn, have, you know, we've been playing around with this hypothetical, like what happens if you just let him do what Patrick Mahomes does? Is he going to be that good? Can the offense be as good at that? And, and you know, I've always thought, yes, but you don't, you don't know until you see an offense really commit to it. And it's been awesome to see not only are they passing more, it's one thing to say, I'll just let him pass a bunch of times, but they've been doing it creatively. You know, they're, they're doing it in first and second down situations. They're doing it in and short situations. They're among the league leaders in motion before the snap. I mean, they're really trying to be dynamic and letting Russ do his thing. And so it's been cool to see. I think he's more or less the same quarterback he's been the last half a decade, but we're just seeing the constraints of the Pete Carroll offense lifted from him and yeah it's it's been awesome to see i do think that this will be his toughest test though uh the constraints of the Carroll offense uh won a super bowl as you know um do you think you can win a super bowl with marshawn lynch today the the same way that the seahawks did if they were that same age and everything yeah you know i think the 49ers came really close to doing that last year um and honestly the ravens probably weren't that far behind them neither were the titans i mean you had three teams in that, you know, on the short list of contenders last year that ran the ball uh, at a really high rate. So I, I don't think the issue is, you know, is it better to pass a bunch or is it better to run a lot? If you run really, really well, like those teams that I just mentioned do, then it's great to run. Just like the Seahawks 2012 to 2015 ran the ball really, really well. For Seattle, uh, I think a lot of that was predicated on the blocking rules being differently, uh, being, you know, being different back then. And, and Tom Cable's system worked really, really well for running the ball in that day when you could chop block and when you could crack back and you can't do that anymore. And, and their ability to run has diminished as a result of that. Also mm -hmm. not having Marshawn Lynch. So yeah, I think it can work. I think if you run the ball really, really well, the Rams are a perfect example of a team that runs the ball a lot and does really well with it. But if you don't, I think it's silly to have arguably the best quarterback in the world back there and repeatedly take the ball out of his hands if you're not running at an elite level, which Seattle hasn't for the last three years. You like paying guys like Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook? Oh, man. Yeah, I think. I think so. Um, it's a very short list of guys that I would pay at that position. And most of them, I think um, – also contribute a lot in the receiving game. And I think that's what really gives guys like McCaffrey and Kamara and even Ezekiel Elliott, all of whom I would put on that list of running backs that I would pay, um, is the fact that they 
they are so effective in the passing game um, that I think it, it really gives them the, the type of value that justifies that contract. Derrick Henry's the one outlier. Um, he is so good and, and just, just different. I think once in a while, you know, we can, we can fall into these traps of all positions are this way or all players are, you know, limited in a certain way. And then once in a while, you just have to recognize an outlier. And a guy like Derrick Henry who can handle 25 to 30 touches a week, who doesn't slow down, who appears to get stronger as the season goes on, who is just the toughest person to tackle in the NFL. Mm. That, is, that is an elite skill set that is worthy of compensation. Yeah, I just um, had this revelation the other day, which is, you know, I think people talk about Derrick Henry and they're like, look, you can get a Derrick Henry in the middle of the second round. You can get a Derrick Henry here and there. And that's technically true that in the year that Derrick Henry was drafted, he went in the middle of the second round. But, uh, but Derrick Henry is the first pick in the 1995 NFL draft. I mean, he's playing at Alabama. He's the Heisman. He's destroying it. He's a monster. You know, just this is not – he's a real monster. Like, he, he legitimately fell in the draft because of the running backs don't matter, like, argument and, and, this, yeah. and you know, questions about, I don't know, he's 6'3 or whatever. But um, what about Chris Carson? Because this is a guy that's going to be a free agent. Well, part, part of the reason that I would pay Derrick Henry is he's been durable. If, if injuries weren't a part of the equation, I would put Carson in that tier right below those guys that we mentioned. I think he's that good. And that's not meant as a slight. I mean, I, I think that a healthy Chris Carson is one of the 10 best running backs in the NFL. Um, fact is, he's been hurt a bunch. And that is the strong, for me, that is the strongest argument, more than schematic replacement value the biggest argument against paying running backs is is a short shelf life it is a a injury prone position and and chris carson has just fell victim to that also he fumbled a bunch last year yeah. i love Chris carson I, I hope that he stays in seattle for a long time but he's not a 10 million dollar a year guy for me it's like a, I, I can't imagine you know how younger men will be choosing to play running back because it is the position that you know it's not just that it's injury prone but you know you know what we know why it's injury prone you're the only guys you're touching the if you like you said derrick henry's getting tackled 400 times <laughs> dk tyler lockett's getting tackled like eight times and he still will tear his acl you know <laughs> Uh, I lost you there. You lost your on the last second there. No, I, you know, you, you made a great point. And, and it's like running backs get hit as they're, I mean, like linemen get hit a lot, but it's with a six inch head start. Uh, running backs are getting hit every time they touch the ball and good running backs are getting hit more than once each time yeah. they touch the ball because they're breaking tackles. And a guy like Derrick Henry is probably absorbing four, to 600 hits in a season. It's just yeah. a position that way. And a guy that can hold up against that and still perform at a super high level is really valuable. It's just he's yeah. one of one in that regard. Yeah, that's like also too, you know, those years when Todd Gurley was elusive um, or at least able, you know, getting through it and they were having more blocking for him in the, in the Sean McVay years, but all those times where it's just like, there's also a skill to avoiding tackles. There's a skill like, just to like know how to be tackled, you know, like Russell Wilson is elite at avoiding injury because of the way that he's like, Hey, look, I don't need this three extra yards right now. I'm going down. This is a career, you know, Robert Griffin, the third 
and and these other players that did take really nasty hits in the open field. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz refuses to get down. And that dude gets concussed and broken all the time. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like a Carson Wentz guy, but, like, he doesn't know how to get hit. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of guys that you don't want to hit, let's talk about DK Metcalf because I was talking about this on another podcast where I was thinking – it just occurred to me, and I'm sure that this has been mentioned by uh, countless other people, but watching him on the field, it feels like watching LeBron James. It feels like a guy that doesn't belong in this league. He doesn't have the right size to, you know, be fair around these players. I don't know what overcame NFL GMs last year in the draft, but uh, how can you describe, like, all the years you've been watching the Seahawks, where does DK Metcalf immediately jump off the page to you? Wow. You know, I, as you were talking about him, I was thinking, I was like, is, is DK Metcalf already my favorite ever Seattle Seahawk? <laughs> and, and that's such an absurd thing to even consider because I like, I'm, I'm an Earl Thomas guy forever. Cam Chancellor, like those two guys, I never thought would be touched. And I, I realized while I was watching them, and I love Marshawn Lynch and I love Russell Wilson, but for me, Cam and Earl were like a, a step above in terms of everything that I wanted to root for in a football player. And they happened to be, you know, playing for my favorite team. And so I just, I was aware that when they were there, that these would be the two favorite players that I ever watched, you know, Bobby Wagner's right in that conversation too, but really it was those two guys. In fact, my, my screen right now, the wallpaper on this laptop is, Earl and Cam looking at each other and, and it's the background for all of my digital stuff because it's such like this inspires this feeling in me. So I was like, when these guys are gone, I will just know that those are my favorite players ever. And DK's on that level right now. It's like, if you put Cam Chancellor on offense and, and you calling him, you know, like the LeBron James, it's crazy. LeBron called him baby Bron. Like he's, he's arrived already. And um, you know, I, I watched the, the ESPN cover story, kind of the behind the cover story feature that they did recently on him last Sunday. And I didn't realize, I knew he'd gotten hurt mm-hmm. in college. I didn't realize how close to paralysis he was. And I'm guessing that that's probably the reason that, that he made it to, to Seattle. And he, he calls that a blessing. He says, if I did get drafted in the first round, I wouldn't be working as hard as I am now. Like mm-hmm. he's a really, really remarkable dude. Mm-hmm. The, the talent alone puts him in the short list for favorite Seahawks ever for me. But you combine all the other stuff with it, all the stories that you hear about him growing up, the way that he reached out to Russell Wilson as soon as he got drafted and basically said, how do I become the best at this? You know, his, his feeling that he is, if he reaches his potential, mm-hmm. he will be the best receiver who ever lived. Like that's crazy to, to have that sort of uh, self-talk and, and Russell Wilson has similar sort of self-talk. You put those two together. And the fact also that, DK Metcalf came along when he did, you know, for, for him to get in and have his two closest friends, three closest friends be Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson is really amazing. And I don't know that if he was drafted four or five years ago, that the dynamic would have been the same. It is Russell Wilson's locker room now. And I don't think that was necessarily the case back in the Legion of Boom days. So the timing of it sets himself up to really go down as one of the all-time great Seahawks, maybe the best ever besides Russ. 
Now, before any uh, one can accuse us of being a Seattle fanboy podcast, you know, we do have to talk about the fact that I think me and you like to gush over great players. It doesn't matter what team they play for. So this is legitimately like you are gushing over a player like DK Metcalf, like he's Calvin Johnson, like he plays for another team. And I know that too, because how do you feel about Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey? I was just going to say, I can have the same conversation about Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald is, again, like Derrick Henry, like DK Metcalf, I think he's a one-of-one a one type of player. When I talk about how the game has changed uh, generation to generation, the first example that I use now when talking about what greatness looks like is Aaron Donald. You know, the guy's probably got like a 36-inch waist, and he's, you know, 280 pounds. Like, he's, he's incredible looking. Uh, and the fact that he's so skilled at that size, the fact that he moves – uh, in the manner that he does and, and plays with, I mean, JJ Watt is one of the most remarkable defensive linemen that I've ever seen a combination yeah. of, of pure skill, strength, all the physical attributes, and then just sheer want to, right. Uh, you know, he's dealt with some injuries, but before that he was on his snap rates were out of this world. He was on the field more than almost any other defensive lineman. Aaron Donald is JJ Watt 2.0. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, I could talk about Aaron Donald for, for 30 minutes. I think he's so good. I think that he is maybe the best pure football player on the planet. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly why the Rams are 8-4 and four against the Seahawks since they drafted Aaron Donald. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron Donald has dominated the competition between him and that offensive line and, and really made it an issue for Seattle to be able to run the football, to be able to pass the football. Um, it's been an issue every single time out and now they have Jalen Ramsey as well. And, you know, there's going to be a talk about Jalen Ramsey against DK Metcalf. This doesn't really solve the other issue though. I mean, the, the Rams have, um, a couple of really good underrated corners next to Jalen Ramsey, Troy Hill and Darius Williams. Um, and I think Troy Hill could also be working against DK Metcalf. Uh, I've noticed that uh, Tyler Lockett's had two exceptional games this season, and then he kind of disappears. Um, where are you at right now with Tyler Lockett? Yeah, you know, and before we get there, I do want to touch on how good the Rams secondary has been. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of uh, tension, I guess, between kind of old school football fans and uh-huh. fantasy football fans. <laughs> but I do think that there's over over a large enough sample size there's some real things you can draw away from fantasy production and, and what that means for an offense or a defense. And I saw today that the Rams have allowed the fewest average fantasy points to wide receivers of any team in the NFL relative mm. to their production against other teams. Uh, the Seahawks <laughs> were the worst. <laughs> the worst. By like 3X over the 31st. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They're averaging so, – so get this. The Seahawks are allowing – 23 more points to fantasy points to opposing receiving cores than what those receiving cores do against other teams. The 31st place team allows eight more, but the the Rams were the best. And, and it speaks not only to the talent that you have in the secondary, like you mentioned, and Williams and Hill are really underrated players. I think a lot in large part because there's such a bombastic talent on the other side with Jalen Ramsey, Mm -hmm. but scheme wise, I mean, Y'all run a really imposing scheme. And look, the Dolphins kicked your ass last week or two weeks ago (laughs) before the bye. The Bills just kicked the Seahawks' ass. Like, that happens. That doesn't make you a bad team. 
I think the Rams are on that short list of contenders that you see every year. I think every year there's six to eight teams that have a legitimate shot of winning the Super Bowl. And I, I count the Rams to be one of those. And for all the talk that there's been about their offense and since McVay showed up, I really think the defense is the reason. Yeah, I mean, end of the day, the Rams will be in first place if they win this game and there will be seven games left. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is that I, um, I think the Rams are favored. I think that makes sense. I think the Seahawks are going to have a hard time winning this game. Um, but a large part of that also, you know, where exactly is the offensive line at for Seattle? I know Damian Lewis is a rookie that's been getting uh, some praise. Brandon Shell was a free agent that was brought in. Ethan Pochich has now uh, taken over at center. Um, where are these guys at? You know, for this is the best line Russell Wilson's ever had. And, you know, I've always just prayed for just give a league average, some, some offensive line that ranks somewhere between 12th and 20th in overall efficiency and see what Russ can Lewis, even though he's a rookie, was the highest rated for whatever stock you want to put into PFF single game grades. I don't mm-hmm. put a ton in but we don't have a lot of measures to go uh, off of for offensive line performance. Anyway, they said he was the best offensive guard in the NFL last week. He's like fifth on the season. And I do put a little bit more stock into their season long grades. He's mm-hmm. been excellent. Dwayne Brown has been phenomenal. Brandon Shell, who I knew nothing about and everyone told me was a terrible signing uh, instead of re-signing Fant. Um, he's been <laughs> tremendous. And he's so athletic. You know, the thing that stands out to me about Shell, and I, I don't claim to be able to – speak super intelligently about offensive line play but one thing that really stands out to me about shell is he gets downfield really fast and the seahawks have never had a good run uh screen game they've really struggled with that and you know now with lewis and shell they've got these guys that get downfield and just start taking out guys in the secundary before the receiver or the running back gets there we've ne- it's a dynamic we've never seen before and it's why you know running backs have like seven or eight receiving touchdowns already for seattle it's really cool to see you talked about how bad Seattle's defense is this season. Uh, they, they seem to have things going for them in regards to Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. And, you know, Quentin uh, Dunbar was supposed to be this uh, large acquisition for Seattle. And then, uh, you know, every, there was a lot of talk about the quality of Quandre Diggs and then Jamal Adams, of course. So it would seem as though the talent is, is there somewhere. Uh, but just exactly what is it about the Seahawks defense that makes them so bad? Bro, I wish I could tell you, man. <laughs> the craziest thing. You know, it's so funny. There's, there's the whole Jadavian Clowney song and dance all offseason. And I was, I was rooting like, go get him. Spend the money, right? Because I actually really liked how he played for Seattle last year. Um, but what they did instead was invest heavily in their secondary. They traded two first-round picks for Jamal Adams, who is – you know, probably one of the three best safeties in the NFL. And they brought in Quentin Dunbar, who was PFF's number two rated uh, slot defender last year, uh, to go with promising talents in digs, like you said, and Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers. And I, I had a tweet that said something to the effect of, you know what, we wanted Clowney all offseason. He clearly didn't want to be in Seattle. So instead, they built what might be the best secondary in the NFL. <laughs> and, and it's going to go down as the worst take that I've ever had in my life, uh-huh. and, which, which is saying something. Uh-huh. It's, 
<laughs> I mean, they're so bad. And I don't know, man. I just don't know. I watch. And, and even when they show replays, I'm just like, it doesn't make sense to me how so many guys are so open every play. Um, so, you know, you would think then that uh, if they ever got to the point where a team was scoring more points than they ever had in an era where there's been more points than there ever have been, um, that it was a good thing. But do you feel like you have much confidence in the Seahawks uh, winning the big games this, this playing the style? I do. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's not like they're going to go out and dominate anybody with this defense. They're just not. Um, they have Russell Wilson and they have Russell Wilson with two of maybe the 10 best receivers in the NFL. And, and that covers a multitude of sins. You know, the Rams are better almost across the board than the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. But the gap between Russell Wilson and Jared Goff almost levels the playing field entirely. And that's, that's true about the Seahawks with almost every team that they play. Russell Wilson is so much better at what he does at the most important position in American sports than his opponent almost every game that it allows for some margin for error elsewhere. And the thing is, you know, we, we talk about if you're going to, team's going to win the Super Bowl, they have to be some juggernaut that just blows teams out and goes 16-0 and 0 and all this stuff. That shit never happens. It never fucking happens, man. Like, after the Seahawks got their asses kicked by Buffalo, I went back and I was looking at all the teams that have won Super Bowls for, like, the last 20 years. And they all had shitty games. They all had stretches where they went one and three or lost a game by – 16 points to an inferior opponent or whatever like we we have this idea that the difference between great teams and bad teams is the difference between a 10 and a one in reality it's like the difference between a 98 and a 94 like these guys are all so good and they all have coaching staffs that are putting in 80 hours of film work every week dissecting this like these guys are playing this game on the edge of a knife and if a hamstring is tight or a read is wrong, or whatever. That's the difference between a win and a loss. And then it sends the fan base into a tizzy one way or the other. So, uh, yeah, the Seahawks can win big games. Yeah, the Seahawks can win the Super Bowl. They've got Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like, they can score with anybody. And when you can score with anybody, you got a chance to beat anybody. What are the Jets? A 60 or? <laughs> okay. All right. The Jets are <laughs> The Jets are an outlier. The Jets legit. The Jets legit might go like eight and four in the SEC. <laughs> it's uh, it'll be interesting what happens there. Uh, I'll I'll just have one more question for you, Jackson. Yeah. Um, when you're writing a recap after the game this week, um, if if you're writing about a win, what do you think that uh, the Seahawks for did right? And uh, if you're writing about a loss, what would you think that the Seahawks would have done wrong? Same answer for both. It's whether or not Jared Goff is on schedule. When Jared Goff is comfortable and able to make quick throws and guys are getting open early, he's a very good quarterback. He is atrocious when things aren't on schedule. And and, and I'm not saying this as some sort of like Seahawks fan that hates the Rams. I mean, the numbers bear it out. Jared Goff is a bottom tier quarterback under pressure and a top tier quarterback when kept clean. It's all going to come down to whether or not Seattle can generate the type of pressure that doesn't allow 
the McVay offense to stay on schedule. I think, I think it's an extremely quarterback-friendly offense. You guys are running the ball in neutral situations at a higher rate uh, than anyone else in the league, and that allows uh, a pretty comfortable situation for quarterbacks, especially with really talented receiving options that y'all have. Uh, I think Daryl Henderson is, is a truly talented running back, and you know, but Seattle's actually been pretty good against the run. It's going to come down to whether or not they can make Jared Goff uncomfortable. Well, that'll be uh, interesting to watch. And certainly that's how um, Jamal Adams will probably play a role in this game if he does, which is he's blitzing about 10 times per game. So uh, they're trying to turn into a 12 or 13 sack safety, which would be um, interesting. You might get it. (laughs) You might get it too. Might get that. And uh, we'll see what happens this Sunday. Uh, Jackson, you know, where could people find you even if they wanted to uh tell you you know tell you off yeah 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 if you want to tell me to eat shit you can find me on twitter at jackson bevins there's no k in accent it's j-a-c-s-o-n remember that no k is okay and if you want to read uh a drunk and high recap of seahawks games about an hour and a half after they end you can find me at fieldgoals.com uh under the cigar thoughts tab Thank you, Jackson Bevins, and that's it for this week's pod TST. We'll see you next week.